Yo. Dude, look at that backdrop. You look sick, Baba. Why do you look so dark, Jay? I look dark. Do I look dark? You look tan, buddy. You look tan. You look like you live in LA. <laughs> Is that your cat? My cat? Yeah. Oh, over there? Dog. I built this studio for you. Do you like it? For the I love it. I love it. I just I just watched your interview with Scott Clary. You watched the whole thing? Yeah. And you know what's crazy is that I'm friends with you and I've known you a long time. And that was um that was awesome. I was kind of like I, I was actually um captivated. I didn't know a lot. Of, I didn't know a lot of that. Really? Yeah, that's hard. That's that's like you and I have something in, in common that I didn't know. We we're we're uh we were both homeless. It's what shaped our soul. That's what made us hungry. And that's what made us run for the prize. Um, you, were, you were homeless in Italy with a stolen passport at the age of 15. I was homeless in Santa Barbara with a joint at the age of 22. <laughs> I love it. <sighs> you can go back and give it. You want to just give me one sec. Thank you. Yeah, bud. Uh, it's good to reconnect with you. It's been a couple of years, it feels like. I feel like the last time we kind of hung was in Hawaii. Has it been that long? Yeah, like since me and I haven't seen your wife since then. But My we, wife? Oh, oh yeah. we got divorced. We got divorced years ago, Jim. Shut up. You're married. I'm, totally, no? I'm 100% happily married to the same to the same lady. She was, hey, that was a long time ago. I think she was pregnant there. Yeah, she was. And she was doing muscle ups, pregnant in the yard. Jim, you, um, so, so you are a LA kid who um, loved hair and makeup. And now, I don't know exactly how old you are, but 45 years later, yeah. 40 years 40 years later 45 years later yeah. um you parlayed your love for hair and makeup into um three companies production company um ma talent management company and um what's the third company what do you call that um jim jordan photography yeah i didn't so know, white cross didn't have a mad love for hair and makeup i had a mad love with transforming things to let people see how i saw the world and it, I used to transform trees and bonsai bushes and climb in trees that had no shape or form and make these masterpieces out of them to get people's attention. And so, even even pets, right? Even people's dogs. You gave dogs haircuts. You transformed a dog. Anything that had hair or anything like hair. Dog, horse hair, manes, tails. was doing crazy shit. So it parlayed into finding girls and guys and models that people I thought could be models that the world wouldn't have recognized it. And I would do their hair and makeup and beg my next door neighbor, Greg Glassman, to let me use this camera or let him use the camera to take pictures of these people. And that's how it started. And he got really sick of it really fast. 
and kind of gave me his camera and begged me to, t- and I didn't want to take it. I didn't know how to use it. It scared, intimidated me. So he it. grabbed me in a headlock and showed me how to put film in it and use it. And I was kind of off to the races, running, scared to death that I didn't have somebody doing all the technical stuff for me. Um, for anyone, boy, people should really go listen to that podcast. It's the Scott D. Clary podcast. I'll put a link um, in the bio. It is really, on one hand, it's um, it's kind of that cliche story that never gets old. It's someone who is put underneath a ton of pressure and a ton of hardship. And instead of, um, well, even, even for years of maybe playing the victim, he overcame it and um, kicked ass. Right. Yeah. What is, what is the, is is the most common question you hear from people? Hey, I want to, I love pictures. I want to get into photography. I mean, do you hear that just over and over and over? I hear it a lot. And I hear a lot of people that come to me that want technical advice and what kind of cameras to get and what they use. And, and they like a lot of people are like, you have the coolest job. I want to do what you do. And, I don't know. First of all, when they ask me what kind of cameras to get, I don't really even know the exact camera that I shoot with. And I'm really like the most untechnical camera savvy guy there is. I'm really surprised still that I have a label or a badge that says I'm a photographer. When I did hair and makeup and I was traveling the world with Elizabeth Taylor, Whitney Houston, Kurt Russell, Nick Cage, Jeff Bridges, I was surprised that I was even a hair and makeup guy. I didn't understand that label that I carried around as well. And so why the photography thing, it's just kind of an extension of my hands or my arms and just how I live my life. And I have that piece of metal in my hand to capture the moments in my life, like kind of journaling or the way I see people. And it's more about what I love about taking pictures is the connection, the interpersonal connection I have. It's kind of like Simon says, it get people to tell me things and do things that they would never give or share with anyone else. So it's kind of like a, an intimacy that I share with people that I can, when it's over, it's like, okay, it's over. And I like that. I did that. And I don't know how to put that into words or to express that, but it's really fun. And I really, um, I really like doing that. What, when, when we used to hang, when we used to hang on a, on a, on a regular basis, I remember um, sharing those thoughts with you. Like, Holy shit. I, I had a nickname for you. I wish I could remember what it was, but it was something about freedom setter. I, everyone always felt free around you. Like, uh-huh. Everyone always felt free around you when you're, when you're, when people leave high school, you know, I remember people would say, Oh my God, I'm, I'm so glad I'm out of high school. It's just a popularity contest. It's just a popularity contest. And now that I'm uh, 48 years old, I realize life is still just a popularity contest, but what people value has changed. And so, although Jim Jordan may have not been the most popular kid in high school, he's figured out what makes him lovable, likable, and popular now. Right. For sure. Like it was becoming successful was the 
way I got to be cool and the way that people accepted me and the way that it was okay to be me. And sometimes that's still not okay for certain groups and peoples and circles, you know? By that, I, I, I also mean like, You are not like, like you said before, like, you, like in that podcast, you said it was very interesting. You said, um, I'm not, I, I still trouble. I still struggle with people. You know, you filmed all these famous people. You've made a career. You live in a beautiful home in Calabasas, California. You're successful. You have these three companies, but you still can't even, you still struggle with the fact of calling yourself a photographer and you didn't use your technical skills that's the fascinating part about you to get where you're at you used your people skills you made friends and you made you made friends with famous people but not only that but you made them feel comfortable whatever you did you you made them feel the way other people don't make them feel or can't make them feel yeah and what is that do you ask them do you convince them to be themselves I think it's the way I share myself and the vulnerability I have that when I'm giving everything of myself, it reflect mirrors back to me. And so when I'm jumping in head first to get vulnerable and to share my, my brokenness or my passion or my love or my everything, it kind of people feel safe to kind of let their walls down to let us have this engagement. And that's really what my, the way my life has always flowed and why I've attracted some great things and jobs and careers and opportunities because of the, I don't want to say, it's just, I'm very like, I'm very loving and I want to see life and meet people like I'm a young kid. And I want to not have opinions or expectations. I grew up with a brother that was very, you know, right and clothed, folded his arms and had the answer to everything. And I lived a lot of my life like that. And I knew when I was right and had the answers for everybody, it's where my life ended up stopping. And when I gave up my opinions and how life should look or be, and that's when the miracles started to really happen in my life. And I'd always been that way as a young kid. I've always been really very social and very loving. And I used to ask a million questions to everybody. And everybody used to always say, my sister's my family. You ask so many questions. Get away from us. Stop asking me questions. And the whole my whole life, I asked everybody questions. And I questioned everybody just because I was interested in them. Not asking questions to find stuff out about them, but honestly interested in people. And you have, go ahead. Sorry. People like to, it's like, I like, I like knowing about people. I like hearing people and people like to tell stories about them. And I don't think a lot of people get to share that enough for people that are that interested in who they are, but I'm a really good listener. And I, I really have a heart for people. I love people and being intimate with people. On every level. And you have, you, you walk into a room with someone, someone famous who deals with tons of people all the time. 
And and how how long is a shoot? Let's say let's say you have a shoot with with someone famous. Let's say whoever, and you've never met them before. How long do you have with them? And before you are like the second you walk in, you have to start already be in that headspace to start becoming intimate with them, to let them know you're safe, to let them know it's okay, to let them know you have your best interest. And can you tell us how you do it? I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit. And what if you're not in that space when you walk in the room? First of all, whenever I have a shoot, I'm nervous. It never goes away. I'm always nervous, kind of like I have a little bit of not anxiety, but I'm nervous. I'm wanting everything to be perfect. So my nerves aren't like, I don't know what I'm doing or how I'm going to do it. But I'm always a little kind of, I hope this goes amazing and great. And what are they going to be like? Are they going to like me? Am I going to have to write all of it? And like, if it's a shoot here in my studio, my home, it starts with greeting them out on the driveway, meeting them at their car, like open arms and loving. And they're like, whoa, you're like, barefooted and this kid like this is your place and they're like this is so unexpected a lot of people are like used to be like wait you're like you live on a boat or in a motorhome or you live in a van and they were just like you're so my style of who I am how my house is my studio my cleanliness everything's like uh when you come in my place they're like wow and it's just my wrapping my arms around people, letting people feel my heart and feel like I'm just giving it and being kind and looking people in the eye. And I, I'm not trying to win anyone or look good or be cool. I'm just, I have, a, I don't need anything from anybody. I want to give. And I just, that's how I feel I kind of come off to get people to put their guard down. Or I might go on a job like in, Mexico for a seven-day job with Zendaya and I meet her in the airport in the terminal and she's the biggest actress in the world right now and I meet her mom and her dad and her grandma are there and we get on a plane and fly to Puerto Vallarta for a seven-day job and then the meeting is right there it just starts taking place so it's always different the circumstances is how much time I have prior to them getting in front of my camera and a lot of times they're in the hair and makeup room getting their makeup and hair done. So I remember as a fashion, as a makeup artist, the models and the hair, the actress would be in the makeup room for the first two hours with me. Photographers never even came in to say hi. Then the hair, the model actress would get done and go out to the set and meet this total stranger. And I'd always be like, that's so weird. Like they don't come in and try to connect with the talent. Wow they're getting their makeup done just to kind of be fun and chill and hang out. And I always knew when I was going to have that opportunity to be a photographer, my relationship started there. It started being involved and in the room with them and the, becoming like the, the tribe, the fun, the, the team. And so when I used to work with big famous models, Cindy Crawford and them, and they'd walk out and be meet the photographer for the first time, they were always like looking at me offset instead of the photographer. They're like, hey, talking to me. And I'd be like, don't talk to me, talk to them. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. Like, give him the attention. So I knew those relationships happened early in the game, mostly in the makeup room. And so I learned a lot of tricks of how to connect with talent. And, you know, I did hair and makeup 15 years. Now when I'm doing 
photographing a movie star or a model, supermodel, whatever, I'm in the makeup room saying, here are my vision boards. Here's my boards. I have these, I have these boards that I'm constantly making. I don't know if it shows. And no, I you got go, some. And I go through these boards with my models or the actress. And I say, here's my vision for this shoot. Here's how I want your hair. And I, I'm articulating that to the makeup and the hair people. And right away, the model or the actress is like, whoa, this guy, he cares. This guy's like an artist. He's not just a photographer. Like he's, he's, he's got finite inspiration and detail for the clothes and the makeup and the hair. I don't just leave the things up to everybody coming on the set, which a lot of shoots and photographers do. They hire great makeup and hair people and stylists. And they just check out and go, you guys do it. Like Picasso never let other people touch his canvas. And I work the same way. If I have an idea or a vision in my head, I'm responsible for that. I can have people help me. And I need other arms through as extensions of my eyes, my arms to help me articulate and execute it. But ultimately, I'm the one that's going to be in trouble if the pictures don't look good or the makeup's bad or the hair. And so coming from the behind the scenes doing makeup and hair for 25 years has really helped me have a detailed eye for detail in every intricacy of my photos. And hone your, um, and hone your intimacy skills and your talking skills and your comfort skills with them. Absolutely. Um, Jim, I, um, two things I want to touch on about being nervous and then also about not needing anything. You said not, you said not only do you want to make people beautiful, but you don't need anything from anyone. When I was homeless, I realized that people will love you as long as you don't tax their shit. Don't ask them for a cigarette. Don't cook their food. Don't drink water out of their cups. And, and people, it's, it's amazing how much people will like you if you don't put any demands on them. You patiently wait until they would give or offer. And even then you should say no nine out of 10 times, but not on top of that. You said that you don't want anything from anyone. So that makes people feel so free. But then on top of that, you only have one objective, right? To give to them, to make them to make them see their own beauty. You want, you want, you see beauty in them and you want them to see the beauty, right? Absolutely. I don't really even like people asking me a lot of questions about myself. And I know I'm sitting here being interviewed and talking to you, you're my friend, but I don't have photos in my house on my walls of things I've taken. I've never had a birthday party for myself. I've never had a come look at me. I've never had an exhibition or a gallery because that is that, people coming to maybe celebrate me or come look at what I do is really awkward and foreign to me and uncomfortable to me. And I think that part of my personality, that's why people love to tell me everything and people love to share because I'm a really good wrap my arms around people and love them and hug them and love them back to like to happiness. I have so many kids, people calling me like, you're the only person I know in my life that would listen and hear me and really care for me. Jim, when is the last time you've taken a day off? This year? Um, 
Have you ever taken a day I, off? I don't. Like my life <laughs> is all about work. I manage about 50 models. So I'm always on the phone day and night with them. And I, I just booked out to go on vacation December 23rd to January 3rd. So that'll be, but I'm going to Miami and I'm going down to the Keys. So I'm going to be taking pictures and I'm setting up shoots while I'm there. But, and thank God, like my days off are really with the camera in my hand and creating art. Like I go crazy just sitting on a vacation with, like, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I have gone on vacation with you and you don't take yeah. vacations, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I understand that because I don't, I, 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 my life doesn't really have that in there either. I, I don't, I see, I guess, do you see all of life as maybe a vacation or? So would it, do you think it would be important if you took vacations? I mean, I know of you as a complete and utter workhorse. Yeah. I mean, you are your team of horses. Yeah. Do you like that? Um, is that I, a I vital to success? I, I love what I do. And I can't like my life, the beginning of my life and vacation and work. It's so it's so fits perfectly like a puzzle. And your, and, and your religion, it's all one for you. Yeah. Life, work, religion, spirituality. Yes. So it's almost not even a fair question to ask you what you're saying. It's like, it, it, it's not relevant to your life. Right. Like I've been so thankful to do what I found. Like, I don't even know how I got into doing this. I wanted to make people look and feel beautiful and turn them around and be able to chop their hair off and do their makeup and turn them around and look in the mirror. And I'd have girls like start crying and I'd be like, there's nothing to me better than that. Or being, you wouldn't scream at him and say, your makeup swearing, not smearing, <laughs> knock that shit off. Or transforming somebody and seeing something I did to help them see themselves in there in a different way like that's a vacation to me like that's there's nothing more about to me and i love doing that all the time is it stressful living in los angeles i had some friends recently i had a friend who was uh, an acquaintance friend who was a, a model actor leave la because he said it just wasn't conducive to being married he had just gotten married and he said that the, just the, he, he wasn't bad mouthing it, but the pressures and the lifestyle and the mating game. And it, it, he said, it's just a lot. Yeah. For somebody married with a family. Absolutely. There's so much temptation and it's so fast. And, you know, I live in Calabasas, it's like in 45 minutes from Hollywood which keeps me sane. And I always said to myself, if I didn't plant myself this far out of the city, I might not be where I am today. And I might not be even alive today. And I know that it's kept me out of a lot of trouble. And it's not for everybody. And it is fast. And it spits people out quickly. It chews them up and spits them out, especially in my business. In the entertainment, the acting, directing, filmmaking, modeling, that's fast. And one of the reasons I helped open my company, White Cross, was to foster kids that were being chewed up in this business. And I wanted to grab a hold of them and wrap my arms around and protect them and love them and speak life into them because the whole world was speaking death over them. 
and they had these desires and like, I'm like, I want to get a hold of them. I want to help them. And so I had a really good success on doing that. You know, I had a kid today, one of my boys like walked him off of, you know, literally committing suicide. Calling me bawling, like freaking at the end. And like just being able to be there for him and speak life into this kid that's super successful. He's just like in the battle, in the fight, literally. I had one of my models, a girl, 18 years old girl, 5'11", the most beautiful long red hair. She hung herself in her dad's trailer in front of her house. Like, dude, the things we see. Like one of my best friends, Mitch Rogers is a model. He's 42 now. His career ended like 10 years ago. And he just OD'd and took pills and they found him dead in his shower last Monday. So as far as hard living in LA, being in this business, not having the right people or team around you, it can be devastating. Or having the right tribe around you. Or posse, you're just kind of in the fire alone, you know? And yeah, do, you have, do you have a best friend there? I have a few really great friends, yeah. And people that I can be completely transparent with. And I have a lot of different friends and a lot of different circles of friends. I don't know if it's because I'm older, but I have lots of sets of friends that I grew up with, kids when I was a kid, my entertainment, you know? I have maybe 10 sets of friends throughout my life. And I have a great family. My sisters are in Santa Barbara, my brother, my family's really loving. I don't see them as much as I'd like to, but I have some really strong uh, foundation of people that I know love me. And I got a really cool team of people I'm with every day in my, in my company that I sit with every day and, and can be really real with that get me, you know? When you see someone who's beautiful, how do you distinguish between, and, and maybe beautiful is not the right word. You fill in whatever word it is. How do you distinguish between what Jim Jordan finds beautiful and what you know will present to the world and the different mediums will find beautiful, like photography, film? And is there a distinction between the two? There is. And I think that I developed an eye to spot it before the rest of the world might be able to see it is because of my, my gifting doing makeup and hair. And then me, my gifting as becoming a photographer and seeing people the way a camera might see somebody or seeing what's under the veil. And I can look at somebody's bone structure and they might look alien and really horrible with no makeup and be bullied and picked on but I can see past that. And that's why the people, the girls, the supermodels I've discovered that have been the five of the biggest models in the world in the last decade were because everybody saw those girls, but nobody saw them in the way of this girl is a superstar. And I think those were the, the gifting that I had by my, by my experience. Is it, is it better to, uh, hmm, better might not be the right word. 
um, when you when you found Taylor Hill, is that correct? Is that am I am I describing that situation right? When you found Taylor Hill, she didn't want to be a model, right? She was just some kid somewhere, right? Yeah, she was in a dude ranch in a barn in in Granby, Colorado. She had a baseball hat on her and glasses. And I saw this girl. She was 14 at the time. And right away when I saw her, I was like, no way. And I could see her through the baseball cap, and she had clear, like, reading glasses on. And I went up to her. I was in scouting in a barn. And I said, hi, what's your name? She's like, Taylor. And she was looking at me like, who is this man talking to me? I go, is your mom around? She goes, yeah, she's out there. So I went and talked to her mom. I go, I think your daughter could be a model. I'm a fashion photographer. I'm here shooting for Macy's. And I had my crew was all around, so they saw. Oh, okay. I was going to be like, man, does, doesn't that freak parents out? Like, who is this guy? And they, and they grab their kid. It does freak them out big time. That's why I always like being with someone else when I'm there with a woman or something. Um, so how I discovered Taylor, you know? So my question is, do you prefer to work with someone like that who who didn't have aspirations to be a model or do you prefer and what are the different types of personalities or do you prefer to work with the 18 year old kid who moved from omaha or from wherever nebraska and it's their lifelong goal to be on the cover with the people that have never expected it i say that again sorry i so would rather work with the people that never had any inclination that's what they could even be and for me to have vision for them the way I see it and to, to connect with them, to speak my vision so they could start to see it for themselves, there's nothing better than when my vision that's so big for somebody. A lot of people have such big vision for, they look at me and they're like, me? You see all that for me? Like, that's crazy. Like, no, what? You think I, I could... And then we're after working with them, watching that them start to grasp, even to see to see that for themselves is the best part of what fulfills me. And then when I actually see them stepping into that gifting, it's it's all I it's more it's it gives me it makes me so happy. And that's what I do. But then the flip side is that when they start getting that vision and it's huge and they're making a ton and ton of money and then everyone's clamoring around them, then they start being like getting cocky and the world starts getting on them. And then that's not so fun. But it's just keeping people grounded and keeping them humble. And there's the ones that don't stay humble and get really not so nice. And there's the ones that will always be, no matter how rich or famous they are, they will always be. And I think staying staying rich and humble and kind is why a lot of people get super uber successful. But there are the ones that aren't that become assholes. Can you spot that? Can you be like, okay, I, I met this person. They're great. I know we can do a lot of work together, but I also know six years down the road, this shit is going to crash and burn. Like, for you sure, do. For sure. <laughs> and me and my team always are talking about it. Like we put bets on it, which we know it. We see it a mile away. It, 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 it's, it's almost like a script, right? We're just human. So once you see it happen in three or four people, you're like, okay, they're showing the signs that they're going to get, choose this path. Absolutely. It's so, it's very clear. 
I, yeah, I interviewed Ben Bur- And we can see the opposite. We can see the ones that are going to just be humble from the inside out forever. Like, and that is clear to see too. And some once in a while surprise you, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I interviewed Ben Berger on this morning. Do you know who that is? Um, he wrote a book called Chasing Excellence. Uh-huh. And he's been the coach of a superstar um, CrossFitters. And I was, I told him, I said, Hey, every time, right before I start a podcast, like 10 minutes before a podcast starts, I start pacing well, even sooner, like an hour before a podcast starts around starts. I start pacing around the house saying, I wish I wouldn't have scheduled it. Like, what the fuck am I like every time, but like a week out, I'm so excited. Oh my God. I can't wait to talk to Jim Jordan. This is going to be the best. Oh my God. I can't believe he's coming on my podcast. And then an hour out, I'm like, man, I could be doing something else. Where are my kids? Where are my notes? And I, and I, it's, um, I almost feel like I have to grab myself by my neck and slam myself in the chair. And then when I'm done, always I'm high as a kite. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I kind of relate to that. Um, a month out from a big shoot with Leonardo DiCaprio, you're pumped, yes. but an hour, an hour before you're like, Holy shit. What yeah. like is the coffee is the coffee machine going to break? Are they going to turn the power off because it's windy in LA? Like what the fuck is going on? Exactly how I feel. Same as you, my man. Every time, or I'll do. He a, said. He said it's a good thing. He says if you don't feel that nervousness, that means that you've become complacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to always work with Nicolas Cage. I do his hair and makeup for a lot of his stuff, and we'd be on trips. He just won the Oscar, and I was in Las Vegas, uh, and he was. I was doing his hair and stuff, and he was just starting a new movie. He was talking how nervous he was, and I was like, dude. You're like an Oscar. You just won an Oscar. What do you mean you're nervous? He's like, dude, I get so nervous, like panic attacks. Every movie, every job. And we're like, dude, why? And he's like, it, if I know if I'm not, there's something wrong. And I always remember Nick, at the prime of his career, was how mortified nervous. That he wasn't going to be good. That he sucked. That he didn't know how to act. Did he forget his lines? Like he just didn't feel like people were gonna like him. And I was like, wow, it's 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 every creative, I believe, has that wanting to have the excellence and to for themselves, you know. And that's interesting what he said, that kid, what you just told me. Yeah. Um has it always been people you've shot? Did you ever do cereal boxes or landscapes or cars? Yeah, I do. I've shot cars. I've done car commercials, car campaigns for BMW and Mercedes-Benz. And I shoot a lot of jewelry, still like jewelry, but not like mostly lifestyle type of things. So if I shot a jewelry campaign, I'd shoot the models and then some product on location in the desert or laying in the sand or kind of artsy kind of product shots. I love shooting landscapes. I love that. Like if I'm on vacation, I shoot landscapes because if I don't have models around, I'll shoot the lake or the clouds or whatever I can find, you know? But yeah. In the interview with Scott Clary, you talked about this black box and the black box was filled with photos that 
you, I, I've been on a photo shoot before and you've told everyone, Hey, I better not fucking see anyone take a picture. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard, I know the rules when there's a big time shoot going on and, um, you would, um, as a young hair and makeup guy, you would steal photos, not steal other people's photos, steal your own photos. While they were taking a break, you told the story of running down the beach with um, Cindy Crawford at lunchtime and then um, being like, hey, can I take some pictures of you? And she accommodated you. And then you had dozens of stories like this. Yeah. And this box over the years, and you didn't share the photos. And over the years, you filled this black box with these amazing photos of beautiful, not beautiful, famous, not famous, but your favorite photos, it sounded like. Yeah. And you never showed it to anybody. And then there was the story of, you know, um, finally someone said, hey, man, we know you're taking pictures. We demand to see the photos. And it, it, it's sort of like a Cinderella story. And your career takes off as a photographer. But what I want to know, is there a black box now? And what's in it? Is it those landscape photos? Or are there photos you take that you like, but you're still to this day too it maybe insecure as an artist still to share or like I feel like you know me so clearly. Well you're I have in my computer I have an active folder. And an active folder is any shoot that I do that I haven't put out to the world. And it is so long and it's so risky and it's so personal and it's so like even the thought of what I would even put out, it's so like, I, I just sits in there because I'm like, and it's like, what do I want to reveal of myself? What are people going to think? I don't want to be compared to or, but yeah, I have a lot of pictures and art that I I'm really wait and I don't know why but I have yes do you think that's I I don't know if this is true but I heard when Prince died he had more he had a vault full of more recordings that he had never shared than recordings he had published do you think that's the same thing for musicians too like they have that active folder but they just can't absolutely so so much yes so the insecurity of being an artist and being judged never goes away no i don't think so <laughs> I, I don't know i don't think so it's just like the and the bandwidth of the people i have that can help me even get it out for how fast and how much i'm shooting like at these days i shoot so much as you probably do and know it's just endless it's so overwhelming like what to grab, where, which one, it's just, I have so much, so much to do. Like I'm doing an exhibition in Monaco at the Prince and Princess in Monaco is doing an exhibition an all green printed, all green exhibition. And I'm doing these series of naked people in trees. And then I'm doing one with uh, underwater with seaweed, these seaweed naked people wrapped in like seaweed, like part of the ocean. So I'm doing these galleries and just the thoughts of like which images to pick and which image to display and to share. It's like, that's, oh, it's daunting task to me. Like, I've have, just, have you already, have you already done those shoots? 
I've done the shoots and I'm still shooting for them. But yeah, I've got eight hundred. I have yes, hundreds of shoots that I've done that I'm paginating and being bugged to kind of okay, let's get it going. But I'm when always I'm always dragging my feet. I'm always like ah, oh. it's just not like I don't know. I'm working with the, the editor of American Vogue is curating the project. Ivan Shaw, he's the head of Condé Nast. And he's always been bugging me. He's like, hey, why don't you ever add a gallery? Out of everybody I know, you out of everybody should be having exhibitions. And I'd be like, ah, I don't want people coming to a place and he's standing around like, making me uncomfortable. I don't have birthday parties or shows and come look at me and buy my work. He goes, well, what if I curate a show for you and I do it? And I'm like, how could I say no? The editor of American Vogue's going to curate my first exhibition? And I go, I could never say no to that. He goes, well, if that's what it takes for you to get your art and for people to see it. So he's been pressing me for a while to do these exhibitions. So that's kind of where I've been pressed and having accountability from him to kind of get my ass in gear and get my shit out of my black hidden treasures, you know? Is the point of doing an exhibition for um, notoriety, brand value? Um, I mean... It, it's both. They say it's very hard for commercial photographers, fashion photographers to break into the art world. Like it's such a different world, even though we're artists and we're we're creators you know so i'm just interested in exploring like figuring out how i get over that hump if that's even possible so if know. someone wants if someone wants to be in front of the camera what advice would you give them in my in front of my camera or sure. In front of in front of in front of any camera. Let's say someone wants to be a model. Let's say someone, um, like for it seems like it's like if you're not for those of us not living in LA, it seems like it's something that only happens in LA. First of all, is that true? No, not at all. Okay, and then is that is that just the toughest career in the world to bank on your looks to be like okay, I'm going to use my face to make money. It's pretty, it's pretty risky. <laughs> but, but if you have that right face, it, it could be pretty incredible. And I always say to the girls that I discover and they find, and I say, you're first in line and you've got 900,000 girls behind you. Like that's how picky I am. And I think the odds... To have a face like that is for a reason. And I believe it's, I think it's kind of like destiny. Like, I think that, I think God makes people look a certain way because they're meant to be in front of people. And they're meant to be a voice for people that don't have one. And whenever I help kids, I always say that to them. I go, you don't look the way you look because this is a mistake. I believe you look the way you look because you're to have a voice for people that don't have one. And they're like, and I believe that. And that's what I, those are the kind of people I want to help. And those right. are the people I want to get behind. 
even if do they a, don't see it for themselves. Do a lot of these people take their voice or their power seriously? Do they take their influence seriously? 50% of them. The other 50% want to party and hang out and just be players and be in the social scene. And they're still insecure, so they don't take the power by charge. They're still trying to fit in and be accepted, opposed to just like, I'm good. And I've seen people really do it powerfully. And those, I want to be involved with those kind of people. I want to be a catalyst to help people change the world and make this place a better place. It don't happen that often. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who is easier to work with, men or women? Man. And you have a, st a stable of a, a pretty vast stable of both. Men are easier to work with because there's not, it's not as demanding for men. Women are harder to work with because there's so much more involved with it in the way of work and being a woman and the way I protect and the way I manage and the way I want to hold people's hands. It's easier to work with men as far as managing and helping and branding and pushing them out into the world and putting a bow on them and wrapping them up and dressing them up and sending them out. Women, it's harder. Sending a 16, 17-year-old girl to Milan to be on her own and walk in the streets and going on 10, 12 meetings a day and the mothers are calling me like, what's going on with her? And like, that's very challenging. In the way stresses you out. Yeah. You're worried about them. Yeah, absolutely. In the, so in the circles I work in, in the, if you're meeting or if you're talking about working with a woman on set as a, in front of my camera as a model or an actress, it's definitely women. Women are way more, there's way more intricacies and details with women, with their hair, with their makeup, with the clothes, with the way it's pinned and styling and the way they're moving their body and posing guys are just like what's up they could just stand there and be cool <laughs> it's like an art it's like a dance it's, it's like a movement and timing and capturing that moment when she's in the perfect dance so yeah greater de greater women, demands on yeah. greater demands on the women and, and maybe more threats out in the world yeah absolutely Are there are there are there models, actors and actresses who you see them and you're like, oh, my God, how's this going to work? Like they have no presence. They're insecure. They have no, blah, blah, blah. And then the second they get in front of the camera, it's a completely different person. And you're kind of like, holy shit. Absolutely. It's incredible. Like, and can you give me an example? What, what's that? What's that look like? Shoulders forward. You pull the camera out. Shoulders back. Or and that's to me like the love of the game for me is what excites me. Like the girl playing Jane Sally walks up the driveway to the shoot, no makeup and no hair. She disappears for an hour and come. You walk in and you're like, what? Who is that? And she's all hunched over and she's like, what's up? And then she walks out, puts the heels on, and walks out on set and pulls her shoulders back. And boom, she's this completely different thing. And you're like, 
whoa. And I remember when I started starting doing makeup and hair for Herma Newton and her Brits and all the biggest photographers and working with those like supermodel girls where you see them with no makeup on and you'd be like, she's not even a model. And then watch that transformation. I would just sit back like, I'm watching the best movie I've ever seen. And I was in awe, like, whoa. Even how they moved and they got into their woman and their, their girl and the camera shuts off and they're just like, they fall like, uh, like they're a puppet that just lost its strings. And you're like, <laughs> what? And then boom, the photographer picks up the camera. She steps back on set and flying through the air. Like, oh my God. And you're like, what? It's like the best movie or actress you've ever seen. And it's what's so fun for me. I live for it. It excites me just talking about it. That's one of the best things that's ever happens on set and working with people and watching the transformation. What is something, do you have a list of things you want to do? And if so, is what, what is something in this long career of yours that you haven't done yet that you're like, man, I really, I'd really like to do that. I want to make documentaries and I want to make some really dope short films and documentaries. I apologize about your love for documentaries. That's a, don't go, don't do it, Jim. <laughs> don't do it. Like short ones, like 15 minute ones. Okay, I approve, I approve. Like 10 minute documentaries. And I want to tell what, stories. I want to share things. Like I want to really share things on how I see things. You were like, you're so good with actors. You're so good with people. You should be directing. Let me send you some scripts to read. And I'm like, I never want to go away for a year and film somebody else's movie. Like, it never interests me to do that, even though I love what about What about your movie? What about writing your life story? It's fascinating. I have been. I'm working with a woman named Joan Riley Ford. She's a 10-time New York Times bestselling author, and she's writing a, a, a biography about my life. And we're probably on the 13th chapter right now. And it's going to be a screenplay, and it's a film. It's going to be a film and it's a documentary. And we've been, I've been writing it for like the last nine months, 12, 11 months with this woman. And it's pretty, it's pretty nostalgia, like bringing all of that life back of where I am. Um, is, so when you say a film, would you direct that film? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to direct it, but I want to, my film is kind of, it's a segment of my life of what the movie would be about. It's about a young coming of age kid that uh -huh. picked on and didn't fit in anywhere. And he got abducted and was taken away by a, by a guy that was ostracized by society, which made him so angry at the world that he was out hurting people. And we came together in the perfect storm. We were both outcasts. And my movie is kind of like Kate Fear and Monster, Charlize Theron's Monster. And kind of blow the movie blow, and it's kind of a feeling of those three films together. Being out I'm sorry that that's your life, but that sounds like a really fucking good movie. Yeah, so I wanna, so I'm gonna try to piece that together. That's kind of my next big life's project. It's Is that guy still alive? He just died a year and a half ago. We heard. 
And so it's kind of my goal. Like you asked, what is my next dream or things? Like I never thought I'd ever have a book or a story. I met a psychic. This guy, one of this kid called me, real quick story. I was in Chipotle and I saw this kid walk in Chipotle and I turned and he was a really handsome kid, like set 18. I turned to my team and I said, hey, do you think that kid could be a model? They're like, oh my God, he's so cute. So I'm like, my gut was like, I don't want to work with him, but he's cool, but he's not a fit. He comes in line next to me. I shake my, stick my hand. I'm like, hey, what's your name? He goes, Ishan. I go, hey, Ishan, are you an actor or model? He goes, no. I go, what do you do? He goes, I'm a musician. I go, you live here? He goes, today is my first day moving to LA. I just moved here from Grass Valley. I go, what are you doing down here? He goes, it's my Hollywood dream. Come and be famous, be a writer. So I said, dude, you should be an actor and a model and do music, do everything. You're cool. Let me give you some names of photographers, get pictures. Here's some agents. Here's my name. Sit with us. Do you have friends here? Because I don't know anyone. You're the first person I met. I go sit and have lunch with us. He sits with a super nice kid. I go, dude, here's my card. Call me. You need anything. I'll help you. I'll even take pictures of you to help you. But I sent him on his way. Three years later, I get a call at six in the morning. This is recently, a year ago. It's been three years since I talked to him. Hey, Jim, this is Ishan. Do you remember me? I'm like, Ishan, of course. Are you okay? It's six in the morning. He goes, I called to thank you for everything you've done for me. And he goes, I've been in LA for three years and I've never met anyone that ever wanted to help me do anything. And he says, I want to see if I could take you to dinner tonight. It's Friday and there's a restaurant in Calabasas called The Six. And I'm meeting a friend that I'd love you to meet my friend. And I'm like, who's your friend? He goes, oh, he's a medical intuitive. And he's, I go, what, is he, what does that do? He goes, well, it's a long story. He saved my mom and dad's life when I was a kid. And he goes, I'd really love you to meet him. And I'd love to buy you dinner. And thank you for what you've done for me. I'm like, I was thinking, I don't want to go. It's six in the morning. <laughs> I haven't seen him in three years. I go, why don't you call me? It's Friday. I don't know what I'm doing tonight. Call me at the end of the day. I get off work at five and I'll see if I can make it. I'll look at my calendar. Six o'clock, five thirty. I'm upstairs, just jumping in the shower. He calls. Hey Jay, you asked me to call you. It's Ishan. Can you come to dinner at the six? I knew right then I needed to go. I just knew. No question. I jump in the shower. I go down there and this six fifty, sixty year old man sitting there from London. Hi Jim. Hi Ishan. I give him a big hug. He goes, can I tell you why I called you at six in the morning? I'm like, I thought you called to tell me and thank me for being so kind to you and nice. He goes, no, that, that too, but I got a call from him at 5.30 in the morning. And he said to me, who's a guy named Jay or JJ or it starts with the J. He helped you on your very first few days when you moved to LA years ago. Who is this guy? He goes, oh, Jim Jordan, JJ. He goes, you're to call him when I hang up the phone. You're to call him and thank him for everything he's done for you. And you're to invite him to dinner tonight. There's a restaurant I think I'm picking up of a name called The Six, the number six or something. It's in Calabasas and he's going to show up. I'm getting on a plane this afternoon. I'm flying into Burbank and you're going to pick me up and bring me to the dinner because he's going to be there. And I'm like... I'm looking at this old man. I'm like, wait, you called him at 530? I go, where do you live? He goes, in Arizona. And I'm like, that's crazy. I go, what do you want? Am I dying? 
Like, what do you, you want to tell me something? He goes, no, I've come to hear your story. And I'm like, what story? I go, dude, I got so many stories. I don't even know where I would begin. He goes, well, it's seven o'clock. This restaurant don't close till two. I think we got some time. Why don't you just start from the beginning? So I start from the beginning and share my life. He starts crying. He's like, dude, like, I was told and obedient to be here to hear your story. Because your story is going to help a lot of young kids, especially kids that are suicidal and have lost their way. And he goes, there's somebody coming alongside of you. And I don't know if you've ever decided, ever thought about writing a book, but someone's coming alongside of you. They're not in your life now, but you're going to be writing a book and a screenplay about your life. And it's going to save thousands of kids' lives. And I was like, I wouldn't even know how to write a book. He goes, well, this person's coming along, so get ready. So I tell this man all these things about my my life. And I said, how do you know all this? Like, why me? Why you're in Arizona and I came? He says, last Monday was the three-year anniversary of your father's passing. And I was like, and I grabbed my phone and my sisters that week, I didn't know when it was, but they sent me a picture of my dad. They were like, we miss him. We can't believe he's been gone three years. And I look back to that Monday and that was the day. And I looked and the picture was there. I start crying. And I'm like, how do you know that? And he goes, your dad came to me this morning and woke me up. And I just stared at him like, what? He goes, your father is so proud of you. And he told me that I needed to meet his son and that he has an incredible story. I'm like, this is crazy. He goes, I want to know what the significance of Calabasas and your father is. And I was at a restaurant and I could see out the window. It was like 10, 11 at night now. And I started pointing behind the guy and out the window. And he turns around and he looks. And he goes, what are you pointing at? There's nobody in the restaurant. I go, do you see outside across the street that restaurant called the Sagebrush Cantina? He goes, yeah. I go, my father owned that restaurant. And that's why I'm here in Calabasas. He bought that when I was four years old and it's a landmark. And my dad was very involved with Calabasas. He goes, okay, that makes sense. So I was like, that's crazy. So I start talking. And then I was representing Jeremy Meeks, the hot felon, the prisoner. Yep, yep. And William, I got a call like six months later from William Morris. And William Morris said that there's a writer, a New York Times bestselling writer, that wanted to do a documentary on Jeremy Meeks. But she wants to meet Jim Jordan because she thinks he's like the Jerry Maguire behind all these superstars. So I was like, got lots of book deals and offers and I turned everything down. I'm like, well, William, I'm with William Morris. They're pretty legit. Maybe I should meet this New York Times bestselling. So we're like, have her come out. So she comes up the driveway, beautiful, 35-year-old, dark-haired, blue-eyed girl, New York Times bestselling author, gives me a big hug in the driveway, walk in. She goes, I am fascinated with Jeremy and his story and being in prison and you made him like the biggest star in the world. I follow everything about him. She goes, I want to know about you. Like, tell me your story. How did you find all these supermodels and do all this? This is incredible. 
So I started sharing my life and my story and she starts crying. She goes, can I hug you? She gets up in my office and gives me the biggest hug. And she's like, oh my God, like your story is so touching and it's so like honorable what you do and how you help people. And she goes, for some reason, I don't think I'm here at all to write Jeremy's story. She goes, I feel like I'm here to write your story. It is so much more profound. Like, this is insane. So I go, Joan, I have to, how would you write a book? Do you just, I talk and you just write? She goes, no, my shoulder's so sore. I'm supposed to have a shoulder surgery. I record everything and I put it in a computer and a dick that I just fix the mistakes. I go, I have to tell you a story, Joan. I met this kid named Ishan in Chipotle. And I met this dinner and I went and told her exactly what I just shared with you. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I get him on the phone? I want you to meet him. So I get him on the phone. I haven't talked to this man in six months. So I FaceTime him. He answers, Jim, how are you? And I'm like, hey, Andre, what's happening? I, I go, I want you to meet a friend of mine. Her name's Joan. Will you meet her? So I turn the camera to, to face Joan. And he goes, hi, Joan. She goes, hi, Andre. Nice meeting you. He goes, Joan, what's wrong with your right shoulder? You look like you're in a lot of pain. And she goes, oh, my God. I was just telling Jim I'm supposed to have surgery. I have a fucked his shoulder. And he goes, do not get surgery. He goes, don't get surgery on that. I think I can help you. And then I'm like, Andre, remember I met you six months ago and you told me someone was coming alongside of me to write a story about my life? He goes, yeah, JJ, that's her. And Joan's like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And so that's how my book started to happen because of this woman's writing my book. Is your whole life like this? I don't know. It's kind of like... Like fortuitous and synchronicity. Yeah, and- yeah, 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 it is. Like I did the artist way when I was in my young 20s and I was a makeup artist so frustrated. And I wanted, I knew there was much more to my life. And I was stuck like doing makeup and hair and I was working with all these entrepreneur photographers and rich people. And I just felt like I was this little peon on the sidelines. And I knew I had such a bigger call in my life. So I got The Artist Way by Julia Cameron, and I started that work, that 12-week work, workbook, and I started journaling every single day. And my third week, you know, journaling for three weeks, seven days a week, I became a fashion photographer. I got an agent in New York. My whole life shifted. Boom. It's a magical book. Dude, and then the sixth week, I fell in love with the love of my life and was in a 15-year relationship with her my six week into the book. And I never had a long relationship ever like that. Spent 15 did years. I ever, did I ever meet her? No, spent 15 years with her. Met her in an did act. You get, I met did her you get married? A, yeah, I married her under the stars in Joshua Tree, naked, under the stars with her. She had a big turban sheet on her head and like a saran topless. We got married, on, we got married on the jumbo rocks under the stars, like between me and her and God. We didn't have a big wedding. It's like ceremony. It was just a between us. And I spent a lot of time and she changed my life. And we used to travel with the Smashing Pumpkins. Her best friend was Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. And me and her were inseparable. And we used to travel around the world with Billy when he was just became famous. 
And right then is when I became a fashion photographer. Long story short, like she got addicted to heroin. And that's kind of was the demise of our relationship. And I had to kind of move on with my life because she couldn't kick it. And so that was kind of a really big lesson learned and a lesson to learn on how I knew I could love somebody that way. And then how painful it was losing that. And it scared me so bad. I never wanted to really go there again. I never wanted to fall that madly in love with somebody because I so lost myself in that. And it took me so many years to kind of find my way back to myself. That when it ended, I was like, I don't know how to find myself. That's scary. Yeah, it was so scary. Jim, this the story you told about um, Ishan and the book and this lady coming into your life to write the book. Yeah. Is that happening to everyone, but you're just aware of it? I think it is. I think... I, I think a lot of weird stuff and I think some of it's spiritual and I think like, I think like the world thinks and I think on a spiritual level as well. And I think that everybody in, in our life, even passing or sitting next to us in a restaurant is there for a reason. And I think that when I am aware of that and I start reaching out to say hi to people and to find out why they're around me is when miracles and things happen. There's there's this phrase, people who don't speak to strangers don't speak to angels. That's insane. You're amazing, Sevi. God, Baba. I heard yeah, Matthew McConaughey came out with the book and he was on Howard Stern. And unfortunately, I only listened to like 10 minutes of it. But he said something so interesting. He said that um, once he became famous, he was just surrounded by the same people all the time. And I'm not sure exactly how he worded it, but I think he said, and so everyone around him was mirroring him perfectly. And so basically he was, it sounds like he was going to go into the fact he was losing touch with reality because he was never seeing strangers. He was never getting new feedback into his input. And I bet you it's like that for a lot of famous people, right? And it seems like you go out of your way to make sure that doesn't happen to you. Yeah, dude. It's so important. And every time I'm conscious of that, like these people around me are here. Some, a couple, maybe one out of 10 is here for a divine appointment. I'm telling you. And every time I start thinking of that, and then I go around the room and shake hands and talk and introduce myself and just give my love and care for people, I'm sure enough. Like I go out to a club or I go out to a Hollywood party or the polo lounge for dinner or wherever. Every time I come home, my team can't even keep up with, the networking, life-changing people I've met, and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, what's the guy's name? How did you meet Logan Paul? Yeah, like, like the other night, I called my friend, and they're like, oh, do you want to go to dinner with Rupert Murdoch? We're going to the Bel Air Hotel to have dinner in his suite, me, you, and Shane, and my boyfriend. And I'm like, because at that time, I'm like, this is a divine purpose and appointment. And even some of the jobs that come to me, like, 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 for instance, you know, my story with Greg, right? Right. 
in like 30 years, I lost touch with Greg. And then you called me and said, is this Jim Jordan? Like that's another one of those moments, those things. Like I lost Greg as one of my best friends as a kid. There were no cell phones or anything. And he just kind of vaporized out of my life after he was one of the biggest influence in my life and really a kid that cared for me. Yeah, he did some crazy shit we did as kids. <laughs> but you said he called me and kind of helped circle that whole closure, you know what I mean? Or that whole open up that door to something that was really crazy. Do you still do crazy shit? All the time, but no one knows about it. <laughs> um, the, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, I, I, I'm almost um, hesitant to open this door because I, I didn't do my research on this specific subject, but you, you, you work with or are friends with Logan Paul. I just know him from Instagram and actually I'm a huge fight fan. And that's really how I found out about him because I started seeing advertisements for his fights. He fought some other YouTube guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good, really good friends with Logan Paul and Jake Paul. How does that, it, that fascinates me in the fact that it's a whole different generation. I'm, you have stories with um, uh, Helmut Newton and Elizabeth Taylor and Farrah Fawcett, but now you have stories with Logan Paul. I mean, it's almost like not even the same planet. It's so mu There's so much time between the two, right? I mean, there's black and white film, and then now it's like not even film. It's digital. How... Uh, how do you do that? How, how aren't they like, who is this old fart? Like, what are you doing? Go back to the, go back to 1960 or 70 where you came from. Do these kids just love you or what's the deal? It's crazy. Yeah. Like I, my old agent, my agent is the CEO of Jake and Logan. And so he put me and Jake and Logan together because he wanted to create a business with me and Logan. He wanted me to open a model house and he wanted Logan and me to be partners in a model house because he does the team 10 house and the Maverick house. So he was trying to use my house as a model house where me and Logan would go to Amsterdam and Holland and he would tweet out to his 190 million followers. I'm going to be on the corner in Amsterdam on this street and Saturday morning at 10 in the morning. You want to be a model show up. I'm with Jim Jordan, biggest model scout in the world. So we were going to go all over the world and do these pop-up street corner, want to be a famous model and use Logan as the platform to get the marketing and then fly him out to LA, moving in my house here in Calabasas and start this whole building these brands. And so that's it how me and Logan started off. And then I started photographing Logan and hanging and going parties. And it just like, it was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's for me in Miami on New Year's Eve, and I just started connecting with this tribe, his mom, his dad, his brother, Jake, and just really feeling like family, you know, just really loving. He's the sweetest guy ever. So kind and interested and smart, is so smart. And like I was feeding off learning from him, and he's learning from me. Yeah, what a, what a great so synergy, fast. right? The world happens so fast. And the whole influencer world, it's immediate. And he can do, he just, everything's so instantaneous. And I've learned to adapt. And when I shoot them, I know what to expect. It's got to be quick. It's got to be fast. You know, in our world, like the fashion business, it's way a slower pace. And you wait three months till the things come out. 
their world. They're produced, their movie studios, their actors, their film producers, their editors, their copywriters. They're doing everything. They're their own movie studio, like you are, Sevi, and boom, it's out the set that night. And 190 of their followers are seeing it. Play by play. Yeah. It's really impressive. He was able to keep. He's able to keep his shit together. Dude, he looks. He looks phenomenal. Dude, um, what the fight he's about to do, you're gonna freak out. I can't even talk about it. It's so groundbreaking, mind blowing on who he's gonna be fighting next. You're gonna trip out. So he's really embraced the fighting. Yeah, and Jake has a fight. He's opening up for Mike Tyson in the pre. Yeah. With the Roy, with the Roy Jones Jr. fight, why are they getting into fighting? Because they're good and they like it and they train every day. They have boxing, real huge Olympic boxing rings in their living rooms, and they have the best trainers and they're amazing. They're if you what do you give them advice on like the temptations, on like what shiny objects to stay away from? I do. I, I've been able to speak definitely into their life, more into Jake's life, for sure. Like I've sat with Jake many nights, just heart to heart, like not want nothing from this kid. Because when you're at those levels, everybody wants something from them. A shout out, to be seen in their photo. To right. want something from them. And they don't know who's who. A lot of just say my name so I can get some followers. Yeah. And so I became good friends with Logan first. And then I became friends with Jake and me and Jake really have a great friendship and a trust. Like I don't have to see him every day, but when I do, it's like not one day's gone by, you know, and I know he cared, they care for me and I really got their back. I don't want nothing from them. It's awesome. Jim, thank you. You're awesome. Love you, man. Thank so, you. I so good to see you.